This is the Limited Upside Podcast, and today's sponsor is MailChimp, the world's leading email marketing platform. 12 million people use MailChimp every day to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses. Send better email. Sell more stuff. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. As always, I'm Ben Epstein, joined by my co-host, Mike Prada, and our most frequent friend of the pod, Mike Pina, is joining us again here. So uh, we appreciate you coming on. How's it going, Pina? Good. How are you guys? Excellent. Excellent. You, we were reminded that you were the first guest we've ever had on, and I believe now you are the most frequent. I think that's that's correct. So Let's we appreciate four you Four times, on. right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Four or five now, at least. Yeah, it's one of my claim to fame, so... <laughs> I really appreciate it. You need better. You need better claims to fame than this. I, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> we were going to introduce you too before. I should introduce you as like basketball internet at large, Mike Pina, because you write for a million publications. You're on a ton of different podcasts. You have you have your own now too, right? So I mean, I know you can be found if you just Google Mike Pina, everybody. You'll find like uh, a treasure chest of NBA knowledge, which is why we're having him on today, so we can preview a couple games that are near and dear to his heart with the Celtics and Lakers. We'll get into those separately but let's start with the christmas day games we're just going to break these down i know some have intrigue uh some might disgust us a little bit um mm-hmm. and maybe, <laughs> maybe and some are, are um you know much uh um intrigue behind them games so the warriors Cavs nba finals rematch you have nick celtics are right next to each other in the standings and let's start with them that's the first game that's the noon start on christmas people have just settled in with their family to sit around television for 10 and a half hours and watch nba so, Pina, tell us why you're excited to watch your hometown Celtics playing in the Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. Well, I <laughs> guess the the first reason is I, I love watching. Well, I, I love the Celtics team first of all. Now that they're healthy, um, Isaiah Thomas is really. I mean, he was always a pretty exciting player. Just his herky jerky handle and the fact that he's five nine and can finish among the trees and the paint. Um, so he's just a really fun watch, and this has kind of been his best, the best year of his career, I think, by far. So that's cool. And then just Al Horford's having a tremendous season since he returned from his concussion, and they're kind of just rounding into form, and um, they're a really fun team. But I'm really excited to see uh, just Chris Dasper's. I guess I love watching him play basketball. I'm really interested to see the the matchup between him and Horford if the Knicks do go small i know that um you know the celtics big weakness this season all year long has been uh protecting the defensive glass and so if joaquin noah were ever to have a a solid performance Mm -hmm. for the rest of his career i think christmas day would be it And, and so we may not be able to see uh, Porzingis versus Horford in a small, small it with Porzingis kind of playing that small ball center and Mello at the four. But if we do, I think it would be a lot of fun. So is all well in Boston? I know they had a rough start because of injuries. Uh, they're now, I believe, we're recording this as of before Thursday, so they have two more games before Christmas. So at this point, they're 16-12. and 12. They're coming off a big victory in Memphis. They've got Indiana, and then they have uh, Oklahoma City before this. Is all really well there? Uh, is it just a matter of getting back to health, or are there still some issues? You mentioned defensive rebounding. Like, it's dreadful. Like, they're really bad on the defensive glass. Uh, and I don't – it doesn't feel like their defense quite has the same bark as 
it did last year? Or is this just a matter of getting healthy, or is there more going on here? The defensive rebounding is going to be a problem regardless unless they change personnel because they're just a, such a small basketball team. But uh, in December, I think they have the fourth uh, highest defensive rating, so fourth best defense, and they're forcing turnovers again. I think they're second in uh, opposing turno- turnover rate. So that's a really good sign. Uh, that was kind of their, their bread and butter last season. I think they ranked third overall in, in forced turnovers. So that's kind of who they are and their identity uh, is just turning the ball over, getting out of transition. And, yeah, they did start slow. And I already mentioned Horford's concussion. Uh, we had Jay Crowder with an ankle injury. And Isaiah is kind of working his way back from a groin issue now. Um, plus Kelly Olenek didn't start because he was a little banged up from his offseason shoulder surgery. So I think they're rounding into form now. Um, one of their big – or the, the lineup that everyone thought would be – or at least I did, I thought would be really good this year has been absolutely terrible. Um, Which one's three that? Guards, Brad, it's uh, three guards with Smart, Bradley, and Thomas, and then Horford at the five and Crowder playing. Uh, the the IT and D lineup, yeah, it's just there's it's small, like yeah, and, and they're terrible defensively. So I really I don't understand this nickname that has come along, and <laughs> I, I really wish the internet came up with something better than it. But uh, when you play, IT and P, oh, like as in, <laughs> I don't know. Sure, yeah, that's that's a that's a start. Um, I'm now trying to think of the different players on the team and their initials, and if there's something that rhymes with them. So you can start with. Uh, there's T, there's B, there's H, um, there's C, and then there's S, like MS <laughs> and something. Anyone can figure it out at you, Breda. So you, yeah, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it throughout this podcast. Um, but yeah, no, <laughs> okay, it, it's been it's been interesting watching them. I sometimes wonder if they just are too small. Um, but you, you do make a good point that they are rounding into form. Fourth in defense this month is a good sign. That was their first win, I believe, over a winning team against Memphis on Wednesday or am I misunderstood misremembering that I believe that was maybe yeah, the first no, road win yeah that, that was a huge win for them and Isaiah Thomas 44 points on 16 shots I think that was just such a great performance for him. so oh shit um, who's on the phone yeah. Hmm? Yeah, that would be uh, someone's delivering something to my apartment right now but <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. not getting off the couch so don't worry yeah. nice I'll get my dog to bark pretty pretty soon so we can even this out. <laughs> this, is, this is what happens when we're all on the road. <laughs> Wait, so real quick, just so we can rehash that. That was beating Memphis was the first win of their 16 this season that was against a team over 500. Mm, I would have to road check win. that. Road win. Okay, okay, road yeah. win. Yeah. Got it. I mean, wow. they have not they, beaten a lot of good teams. I mean, that is it's certainly not an issue. Now, I guess that's the story with Boston, you know, Ben, you're excited about the Knicks, I imagine. They are in, I yeah. believe, third place at this point, or maybe they're up there. Uh, no, Celtics are in third place, and Knicks yeah. are kind of in that mix. Uh, we've talked about them before. Uh, are you surprised even now that they're at this stage? I mean, yeah, a little bit. I think I had been a little bit uh, – I'm not. I don't think. I know I was down on the Knicks preseason. I know I have a lot of friends in the city here who um, – who would like to point out how wrong I've been about how competitive they have been. But when I say competitive, I mean like they were like, well, you're going to be wrong. They're going to be 42 and 40. And it's like, well, that's not so bold. Okay. That's a, a little over 500. They're I guess. headed right there. Yeah. And they're headed like directly for that exact record at 15 and 13 currently. Um, I think that the, 
the interesting part, though, is just with every team being in reach of each other in the East, um, these games are important. Like, the Cavs-Warriors game ultimately doesn't mean anything. Uh, and in fact, I... It means no, something. I, and I, ultimately, for this year's standings, until they play each other again... I mean, look, we can rehash this. We were just talking before the pod, but last year, Golden State beat Cleveland in a crappy game on Christmas, and it uh, clearly had no rendering on the, <laughs> on the finals. Um, having said that, like... This game matters because uh, I should say the Celtics Knicks game matters because uh, the Celtics are five and a half out of the uh, first seed. But let's be more realistic about it. They're two and a half up on the eight seed and the Knicks are in between that and the eight seed currently. So these games matter for positioning, but also because this could very well be a three, six or a four or five matchup in the Eastern Conference. And they are very different teams, um, especially in how they're comprised. But my my biggest thing I'm looking for here has been the pleasant surprise himself, Derek Rose. Will he be healthy? Is his back going to allow for him to deal with the you know the bevy of guards that Boston's going to throw at him? Because that's an interesting matchup. That's really where the Knicks are a completely different team um, in a negative sense when Rose isn't out there. It's kind of amazing how important he has been in tandem with Porzingis. Mike, you can you could talk us through a little bit of Porzingis. That'd be great. I know you've been doing some research on what makes him so special. Yeah. Maybe you can give us a sneak preview here. Yeah. I- by the time you listen to this, there will be the latest pictures video is on Porzingis, and they are using him more. He is a much bigger part of their offense, and you're seeing the shadow impact he has. I do worry a little bit uh, about uh, Porzingis. Their defense in the Knicks is still really bad. Their offense is very good, but they struggle with teams that can kind of space them out, and that will be a problem in this game. And we saw last year, I remember, the the Knicks, the Excels would cover Porzingis with Marcus Smart, and KP really couldn't do much to beat him on the switch. I think this year it's going to be easier, but you'd have to think that they're going to do something like that in this matchup as well. Yeah, and I, and I guess, Pina, when you say, and you were you're critical there of how small and poorly defensively aligned that, that unit was, what's the ideal lineup then as you see kind of matching up with this Knicks team who's going to put you know, a couple Mello will be playing, uh, you know, power forward likely or small forward even at certain uh, points in the game at six foot nine, uh, which is roughly the same size as Horford. I mean, they're, they're pr- pretty close to each other in stature. So how do you match up with a team who's better when they're big? Yeah, I think, well, Boston's normal starting lineup with Amir Johnson, who can, you know, his offensive issues, are, he hasn't been the same player offensively this season, but, um, you know, he can kind of guard fours and fives. And I don't know if he's the best um, option for Porzingis, but I think he can do a pretty solid job. And he allows Horford to, when they're on the floor together, if the Knicks stay big uh, and Horford is on Noah or O'Quinn or whoever. Uh, Horford's really been great this year as a help defender. He's having the best season of his career in terms of block rate. And um, he's really just flying out of nowhere. Um as a help guy from the weak side. So I like him as a help defender instead of kind of matching up with Porzingis one-on-one. And um, also, you know, Kelly Olenek is having a decent, <laughs> decent, I'm going to stand for Kelly Olenek for a second. Uh, he's having a decent year defensively. You know, every year of his career, the Celtics are better defensively with Olenek on the floor. And he's just kind of a huge uh, galumph who uh, he, he is a, Solid positional defender. He knows where to be. Um, and he takes up a lot of space. I don't, again, I don't think that um, Olenek is, you know, capable right. of living out on the perimeter with Porzingis, who's taking, he's taking at least five threes a game, I think, this year. So, um, 
Yeah, I would probably stick with Amir Johnson. You might see a little bit more of him than usual. Or, or as Mike said, Marcus Smart, which would be pretty right. interesting. Right. Well, cool. Some interesting matchups to look for. We'll take a, a quick break now here from, I guess, one of our sponsors, uh, and then we'll get back over to the next slate of games, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that big one, the Warriors and, uh, and Cavs. This episode of Limited Upside is brought to you by MailChimp. 12 million people use MailChimp to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses every day. MailChimp has been around since 2001. The company started as a side project funded by various web development jobs, but now they are the world's leading email marketing platform. They send more than a billion emails a day. They democratize technology for small businesses, creating innovative products that empower their customers to grow. When you connect to your store with one of MailChimp's hundreds of e-commerce integrations, you can create targeted campaigns, automate helpful product follow-ups, and send back-in-stock messaging. Learn what your customers are purchasing, and then send them better email. MailChimp will also analyze the purchase history of each customer to make smart, data-driven predictions about what they'll want to buy in the future. It's enterprise-level technology made simple for everyone. Just drag and drop. Sending personalized product recommendations to your customers increases sales in just a few clicks. MailChimp detects purchasing patterns in your e-commerce data and uses them to automatically predict your customers' buying behavior so you can target the right people with the right products. It's MailChimp. Send better email. Sell more stuff. And we're back. Let's talk about the Warriors and the Cavs, the most important game of the day, the marquee game, the NBA Finals rematch. Um, and I know, Prado, you've got some thoughts on this. Which, which uh, of these two teams has a little bit more importance behind this game? Who, who should, uh, which of these franchises should be really getting ready for this Christmas game as if it is a, a true Finals rematch with importance for the long run? I mean, the answer is neither team because it doesn't really matter that much for either uh, I think it's obviously important for the Warriors. I think they're the ones that lost most recently. They're, it's in Cleveland. I'm sure they're going to want to show up. We don't know if Draymond Green's going to play. Congratulations. He gave his wife gave birth to, or I guess not his, I don't know if it's his wife, but he has a child. So he may not be there. Um, so that's great. But assuming he plays and they win, I think that's like a nice emotional edge. What I wonder a little bit about is like, are we overlooking. Like, should we be worried at all about the Cavs? Like, they they still have a great record, but their defense hasn't been that great. J.R. Smith is now out for a while. They had some weird things to sort of say about the Bucks in these last couple of games. Like, did you find it weird that they were talking about, um, oh, yeah, we can't wait to sweep them and for, to, to play four games against them, like assuming a sweep? And there was this report that LeBron is, like, wondering why the Bucks get up for them. And I don't know. Something felt a little off. That felt like a team trying to find reasons to motivate itself um, to me. But I'm just reading between the tea leaves. Like, or is this just they really have nobody to challenge them and this is all irrelevant? I personally am leaning towards the latter there. Um, okay. <laughs> like, no, I mean, I'm with you totally about their defense, uh, league average. Um, but, you know, like, I don't know. They They – they kind of stomped out the the Bucks. Uh, what was it last night? I know they played it back to back. The last two nights, beat them both times. They didn't have Jr. in the second game or Love. Um, so I don't know. I mean, 
I, I feel like LeBron may be coasting again, even though he's playing um, probably more minutes than he should be. Uh, Kyrie is phenomenal. And, um, you know, I was thinking about Kyrie today just as, like, if I needed anyone in the league to hit a shot for me um, in a tight game, I would want I might want him. Um, so I'm just a huge fan of his. And I don't know. It's just, like, we're not even technically at Christmas yet. I, I, I wouldn't be concerned with the team that won the title last year and probably finds it difficult to get up every night. Yeah, I mean... It's just I wonder these teams are not going to show each other anything. I feel like right, right. You know, I mean, it. it I, I just, a, on one hand, I feel like it's going to be a super cagey, you know, match where neither team really shows anything. On the other hand, with the Warriors, I think they've they've proven a little bit recently that like this mix clicks into place, uh, and you know, win or lose, I think they have the right focus in the long haul, and it's for a good reason. They had last year where they went all out. Uh, and it didn't work. And so this year, there's almost no pressure on the regular season for them. With Cleveland, I think there isn't really a ton of pressure either, but they do have some injuries. They have struggled a bit defensively, and their bench is still is a little shaky. You know, they don't have a great amount of depth. They've got no backup point guard still. They're definitely weak on the wing. I just wonder, and you, see, you talked about LeBron. I do agree that he's sort of not playing as hard as he can, and I believe that Kyrie is not playing as hard as he can on defense. But... LeBron's playing a lot of minutes, a lot more than I think he should be. So I don't know. I just I don't know if it's going to matter for this one game. I just something my antenna is up a little bit there, uh, even though I think they've proven they're clearly the best team in the East, and there's no reason to doubt them after what they did last year. I just I just wonder if they're in a little bit more of an unstable state. If we're looking at them as defending champions and everything's fine, and really there's a little more going on if we look a little closer. I, I, that's all. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's always important to keep an eye on teams who are kind of cruising and call it at 30,000 feet or whatever. They're, they're already, they've already kind of shown uh, the capability of the team. We know how good that the Cavaliers can be. But more than anything, focus for me is already having Kevin Love being such a big part of the season. Like, focus for me is already understanding what, what Pina just said, which is they know Kyrie's the guy who can get them their big late-game bucket. Like, they have already kind of slotted into their roles really nicely. The JR thing is the one that, that kind of tips the scales a little bit. He had a very defined role in what made them successful last year. Uh, and they need JR to be on the court, and they also need him for the defensive switching purposes when they play uh, against the Warriors, especially now more than ever, given JR's size and athleticism with uh, Durant on the court. But I don't think, uh, I think you're going to see kind of the Popovich 101 aspect of the NBA now, which is every team just does what Popovich does when there's ever a game that could show anything down the road. And that's just put your vanilla game plan out there. Don't play your stars that much. Um, and I think you'll kind of see that happen. I don't want to like undersell this game too much, um, even though we have to be kind we're of just being kind realistic of here. But know? we're being realistic. Yeah. Being the idea realistic. is. It's not that important, and I don't think the Cavs are going to show too much. I think they've already, whatever, thirty less than 30 games into the season, achieved what they need for this year's playoffs, which is a confident, better Kevin Love and, and a clearly defined, you're the guy who gets the late-game possession, Kyrie Irving. Um, yeah. two, two questions I have that might break this out of this slumber. One is, like, is there something to the rivalry nature of this, of this game? The 3-1 jokes, the the stuff that the Cavs did with the cookies and all this stuff. Is that going to wake these teams out of their slumber? And the other is, what is having Durant now on the Warriors and with the whole Durant-LeBron dynamic? Durant has been really poor 
his teams have been really poor against LeBron in their careers. There seems to yep. be a little bit of a inferiority complex there. How do, does that change anything about the nature of how these teams play, just psychologically? I'm curious what you all think of that. Pina, you take this. You're an armchair psychologist. I'll go next because I'm sure. also chair psychologist okay (laughs) yeah i mean i am kind of expecting to be honest the even though it's on the road for the warriors to come out and just blow them out of the water i would not be surprised at all if that happened um but the what what i'm also what i'm looking forward to seeing hopefully i know we you just touched on you know vanilla schemes and really not showing your cards this early in the year because they're probably going to play each other in the finals but I'm really interested to see if LeBron and uh, Durant match up against each other at any point in the game or if, you know, the Cavs throw Richard Jefferson on him and the Warriors throw Iggy um, and whoever on LeBron. What do you what, what do you guys think about that matchup and if we're going to see it at all? I agree it would be nice. I'm not sure what we'll see. I mean, the Warriors are... I mean, who else would you? I guess there's Iguodala. Like, how much? I guess another interesting question that's sort of a corollary to that is how much are the Warriors going to downsize in this game? Because Cleveland has basically committed a lot more this year to playing five out with Fry uh, and sacrificing some rim protection. So, you know, do the Warriors match up with that or do they stick with their centers? I think that's where the answer comes. You know, if they play, I think more traditionally, there isn't really a better defender for um, LeBron than Durant. And I wonder if it might be good for Durant to kind of get him going on in that sense. Uh, to guard LeBron, but if if you see the small lineup, I I agree. I suspect that it will be Iguodala with the assignment, you know. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I guess I wonder. LeBron has proven at different points this year, most recently against the Bucks, that if it's like a statement game, he'll come yeah. out a little harder. You know, will he look at this as a statement game, or will he look at it as like I already made my statement last year, and I'm just saving my statement for later? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Those are kind of like the two schools of excellence, right? You had like, that's kind of the Kobe thing. With Kobe, when uh, the Lakers were really good in late ni- or late 2000s, uh, 2009 in particular, I want to say, Kobe would really bring his best out against the best teams. Uh, and the Celtics sort of had more sustained excellence throughout that same time period where they were racking up incredible team wins and kind of putting out that same effort each and every, uh, every night. Um, I think you're going to see an interesting matchup here too where uh, – Curry has a lot to prove against Kyrie. Uh, he kind of lost that battle when, even though he was the MVP and best player. And I think that's one of the unwritten or un, uh, unspoken things in this matchup that'll come out uh, first in this game, which is going to be trying to get Steph established even above KD, perhaps. Mike. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Steph hasn't had the best year in the world this year so no. far. Yeah, I mean, and, and Kyrie, like we were just saying, is having a, a really nice season and kind of getting the the due that he's been deserving of um but it'll be interesting that's one of those things where they're they are going to guard each other they're both defensively somewhat liabilities against each other um but yeah i think last year steph kind of had the 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 nba world kind of turned on him and he became kind of a heel in a in a weird sense i mean prado we've talked about this before you always say there's like a tipping point for everybody who we like to eventually that we don't like him um Mm -hmm. that kind of happened all at once last year to steph and the 3-1 and then Kyrie having such an incredible turnaround in the series himself so I'm looking forward to that uh, specifically. I think, you know, obviously with JR out, Clay should have a little bit more freedom in that game. That was a matchup that, that kind of went back and forth in the finals. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting. It's a lot of talent on the court. We've talked about this before when the Warriors and Clippers played. And we said the only other time where there'd be a scenario where like seven or eight of the top 20 players in the world are on the court at the same time is when the Warriors and Cavs play. So that's always fun. Just from a talent level perspective, this, these games are unique. 
Um, so I'm glad that one will be like the true 2.30 Eastern uh, time zone uh, showcase on Christmas Day. But we should move on to the three other games, guys, because there are three other games. Do we have to? <laughs> These three other games are not doing much for me. Well, I got to give Pina enough time to talk about the Lakers, obviously. Um, so that I goes appreciate without... that, Ben. <laughs> that goes without saying. Uh, but before that, let's just keep going in uh, sequential order here. Um, we don't have to spend much time on, on these two, uh, the tweener, the Midwest games, if you will. The Bulls and Spurs play at five, and then the Timberwolves and Thunder play uh, at eight. I think these were two matchups that were presumed to be better when the slate was put out. Um, you know, the Bulls kind of started off going well. Obviously, the Spurs looked tremendous again. Um, and then, obviously, the Wolves and Thunder, uh, we had high expectations for the Wolves. They have not met them yet, and, but it still should be an entertaining individual player game. So let's start with the Bulls and Spurs. Um, Pina, give me a couple things to look forward to in this game that, that, that you'll be looking for. I don't have much to offer you, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, what, I, what I will say about this game is just like, uh, I don't know, like they, both these teams are big, uh, with big front courts that attack the glass and they're not very interesting. I mean, the Spurs <laughs> are, are fun to watch in that they have Kawhi, who's Personally, my favorite player, and um, just his continued evolution is always fun to observe. But um, you know, it's like, what are the Spurs even playing for right now? I don't, I don't know what their <laughs> ceiling is, and I, and I don't know uh, if they can win two playoff series in the spring. And so, I'm just, uh, I'm not very high on them, just as a, as an enter from an entertainment perspective. And I wish. There's some other teams I wish uh, kind of got the the nod here over these two to play on Christmas Day, um, but you look at like the point guard position. It's like who wants to watch Rondo and Tony Parker just like blow by each other <laughs> over and over again? If the Bulls weren't so depressing right now, I feel like I would enjoy this a little more because secretly Kawhi and Jimmy Butler are kind of bring the best out of each other. They had that game earlier this year that was very entertaining on TNT. Uh, that's a fun little matchup, uh, and I think teams, that's a good point. They, they're built around each other now, um, and so that's a that's a good, interesting thing. Um, but the way the Bulls are playing, like the Spurs are twenty three and five, like things are fine there. Uh, their their defense is back to third in the league. Their offense is now sixth in the league. You know, and they're kind of doing their Spurs uh, roll over the teams we're supposed to beat thing. But things are going pretty well there. I mean, Kawhi's playing pretty well. Uh, Pau Gasol's played better. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge still fitting in well. I know Tony Parker's got his problems and there's all of that, uh, but things are fine there. What What's a little frustrating now is that the Bulls just really look kind of like the team that I was worried they would be, which is their offense is a real mess. Uh, their transition defense is bad. They get to this these points in the game where they just can't score, uh, fourth quarter especially. Rondo's really hurting them. Dwayne Wade's three-point shooting, not there anymore. Uh, their front court... Not great spacing. They're not getting consistent stuff out of Miritich and McDermott, although McDermott's been hurt. So it's disappointing what's going on with them. You know, I I think if they were playing like they did in November, this would be a really, actually a very interesting game, a game for the connoisseurs. But right now, it's hard to feel that confident about what the Bulls are doing, especially because this game's in San Antonio. Yeah. The Spurs weirdly had a losing streak this year, but I think they're over that at this point. Yeah, Spurs are fifteen and one on the road and eight and four at home, which is insane. They lost what their last home game of the season last year was their only home loss um, to the Warriors, so that happened. But um, 
No, I, th- I like that matchup, the uh, the Butler and, and Kawhi matchup. I'm just a little ashamed, uh, sad, I guess, a little, um, I don't know, put off by the fact that Ginobili won't be playing. Um, and that's a bummer because I wanted to see Ginobili and Wade have a five-minute sequence where they were the only two who shot the ball. And that would have been great, um, you know, for old time's sake. I'm being totally facetious here. It probably would have been uh, awful. Um, no, that sounds but, actually kind of cool. Like, yeah, just you know, them. give them their, like, five-minute carnival act. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, but Manu's out. Um, I think he's out for the next couple games. Um, I mean, the Bulls do it for Wade anyway. You may as well just throw yeah. Manu in, in the mix, too. That's probably mean, yeah. to the, mean to the Bulls. but Well, I mean, that's part of the discussion. This game has intrigued to me just so we can see what the Bulls are going to do after the last couple days of a lot of people talking to, to you guys, the media. Uh, and, and that whole situation kind of feels like it's going to hit a, a fever pitch sooner than later. There's only so much Rondo and Wade sharing a locker room where they each think they're the best player on the team, where they're actually the second, third, maybe even third and fourth or fourth or third and fifth best players on the team. Um, and Butler gets kind of maligned in the middle there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he reacts in, on a marquee date. And if he sees himself as the uh, guy to take over that game. Um, should we talk about Timberwolves Thunder? I still believe in Minnesota. I think this game will be actually be interesting. Uh, Minnesota's okay. played a little better recently. Um, yep. You knew. I think we just got a little carried away with them. Like I don't think this is a Pelicans like we oh, the team we thought was going to be a lot better, and it's just not that good. Like I think we just they we caused them to arrive a little early. Like I I was saying that a couple weeks ago, where it felt like they were the sky was falling there, but it really shouldn't be. Uh, they're playing a little better recently, and I I think this game might be interesting. I'm gonna watch it. I mean, like, I, you know, this this sounds to me like it's a league pass game that you know traditionally I'd be tuning in for if it was a random Wednesday night, um, just to see a couple of the most talented young players in the league go. Levine and, and Westbrook at any moment could turn into a supernova and explode the world, so that could happen. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I feel like this is the type of game that the NBA world tunes into because you just want to see kind of the untapped potential guys playing each other against a, any you know any game triple double in Westbrook. Yeah, the hype was so real for the Timberwolves, and um, they obviously, you know, the the big narrative through the first month or so of the season was how they couldn't close, and, and they uh, that's kind of carried over a little bit lately. As, as you said, Mike, they've been playing better as of late besides the blown loss to the Rockets, which was one of the worst collapses I've seen oh, in God. a very, very long time. That was really sad to watch. I think it was, what, a 12-point game with two minutes left, two and a half minutes left? Yeah, they were up like nine with, yeah, like a minute and a half. <laughs> Jesus. So, I don't know. But, but yeah, they, they have fun pieces. Um, you know, watching Carl Towns, watching Levine especially, uh, Wiggins in the open floor posting up. I like, I like his game. Uh, defensively, they have their issues, and it's a little frustrating. Uh, I think Gorgie Dang has uh, he. I've never really been a big Gorgie Dang guy, but watching him over the past week or so, he's played pretty well on both ends. Um, and it's uh, there's Ricky Rubio uh, who is having a really rough offensive season and just can't can't really put it together there. And it doesn't look like he's. I don't know. It just it feels like his days in Minnesota may be numbered, and so that's a little bit of a depressing aspect, but. Uh, watching this team overall is pretty fun. And once they start learning how to close games, they just need a little bit of experience. They're all still super young. It's the youngest team in the league right now. Yep. Uh, they'll still, I mean, their time to take over is, it's not like they can't win a title in three years or whatever. I mean, they still have all the pieces 
and they're really good. So, yeah. but I, I think, I think one real quick thing, just, uh, I think the NBA with scheduling, I would like to see more of a wait and see approach with Christmas day. So mm-hmm. instead of we get the Timberwolves this season, we wait and we see how they mature and we give it to them next year. Uh, we had that problem last year with the Pelicans and I know they were banged up, but coming off that playoff series against the Warriors, they kind of gave it to them. And that was a really bad game. We talked about it before we started recording against the heat uh, last year on Christmas mm-hmm. day. So I just want to see a little bit more wait and see with some of these young teams before they get the, the Christmas day. Cause I know Maybe people in Toronto are probably a little bit upset right now. It's true. But th- the other thing you have to think though, is that this is supposed to be like a flagship day for the league and they want to get, perhaps not the best young teams. They want to try to get the best young stars and introduce you sooner. I think that's the challenge, right? You know, if the Timberwolves are 500, you still get to meet. It's more about marketing Carl Anthony Towns more than anything. And I I think that's sort of the challenge you run into uh, is that, and it's going to be an interesting challenge, I think, going forward, because with the way the new CBA is, I think there's an increasing chance that you're going to get these great players sort of isolated on teams that can't build around them. You know, this right. the one consequence of spreading the talent of the league around is that you have these is that you're not really sure like who could have seen the Bucks being this interesting? You know, we knew Giannis was good, but like that's still not a very good team. They're just an interesting team. And that's an example. You know, there are a lot of teams, I mean the Pelicans last year, the Timberwolves this year, you know, you know the Raptors are gonna be a good team, but if you're talking about like who's the star we want to market, like I don't think I think they were trying to get a jump on Ant, on Davis and Towns, and it just so happened that their teams aren't ready yet. And I yeah. I wonder if that's going to happen more often. Well, I mean, they could they could look into flexing like you know the NFL does flexing games into the prime time that make more sense. But uh, the whole thing with the traveling around Christmas Day, we were talking about this before. All the teams, as we record this, uh, and on Thursday the twenty second, all the teams that are playing on on Christmas on Sunday are all playing at least a game, if not two in some cases, between then. So this is a crazy time of year. And then there's the the human aspect of this, right? Um, I don't know how much, and maybe you guys know more than I do, but I always hear kind of like slight jabs and complaints from coaches and players about playing on Christmas Day, about playing on the holidays. I know the coaches complain about it incessantly. Um, though it's a nice showcase, maybe it's less of a, it's less of a, uh, you know, for the popularity it brings for maybe that one or two hours or three or four hours, whatever, it's more of an inconvenience on the team and their, the families. I think that with the showcasing the young talent, though, Mike, I think that's a really good point. Um, it's a marketing day. There's new jerseys um, for, for Christmas. They, they try to put young, new, impactful players on the backs of new jerseys you can buy for one month at a time at the NBA store and NBA.com. You know what I'm saying? Like There is a larger economics component to this. Um, I do think it's always funny to have when you look at the markets that are playing, it can't be about the markets. You know, that, that doesn't matter at all. You've got Cleveland, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, um, the, San Antonio uh, playing on, you know, on Christmas Day. Um, that's clearly not what matters here or what matters here. Um, but the one market, though, that uh, to bring this full circle that does matter a lot on Christmas Day, and these two teams almost always play each other. It's either the nightcap on Christmas Day or a nightcap on another TNT night or whatever it may be. Pina, you got the pleasure of going to see this game live last year? Clippers-Lakers, is that correct? Yes, sir. It was the game where uh, Blake Griffin went down and injured his hamstring, (laughs) I believe. Wow, he's, um, he's, he got hurt almost a year to the date then. I mean, a, almost a year to the date. Yeah, almost a year between injuries, yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's out ah. now. Mm-hmm. So do you think the – let's talk about this because Griffin's now got a lot of injuries on his, on his, in his history. Like are we 
He's a free agent after this year, and I, I think that there were he started off the year really well, and then I felt like he wasn't quite what he was at the beginning. I wonder if he was playing through some pain before they decided to shut him down. Like, are you are we worried that? And now we have the same situation with the Clippers now playing the spread pick and roll around DeAndre and CP3. Like, does this make us think that the ceiling for the Clippers really isn't what we once thought? Like, are we are we worried about whether we've seen the best of Blake Griffin? Whew. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think that, that we very well could have already seen the best of what he has to offer. Uh, but I... I at the same time, I still think he has top 10, 15 player left in him for the next few years, maybe. I mean, he's only, what, 27 years old. I know he's had a lot of surgeries, specifically on his lower body, and that's not something uh, you want to see from a big man who uh, really gets his boost up on the competition with his athleticism. Yeah. Um, but his what, what I really like about Blake is just his handle, his vision, uh, and his passing. And he's still a pretty effective post scorer. So the day that he doesn't try double teams in the post and he's able to kind of hit spot up shooters behind the three point line is the day he's no longer, uh, you know, a superstar or a upper echelon all star caliber player. And I, I think we have to wait and see what type of how much his athleticism is has declined due to these surgeries and these injuries and, and um, what kind of player he is moving forward. There are two related questions that I realize I asked. One was just about Griffin as himself and the stuff you're talking about. Like, is he still that quality of player? And I think you make a you, you're being perfectly fine and reasonable there. The second question is, will the Clippers fare well without him, like they did last year? And if they do, does that raise some questions about? Perhaps not Griffin's ability as a player, but Griffin's fit with this team. I'm thinking we've always said that this is not the cleanest sort of just skill set fit, but it was always able to be overcome by what those guys could do together and how talented they were and how drilled they were and encompassing for the weaknesses. I mean, have we reached a point maybe? And I guess we'll have to see because what happens when he's not there. Like, I wonder if we've reached a point where even at, at this stage, the the fit issues, the fact that neither him or DeAndre is a consistent outside shooter, uh, the fact that only one's a great defender, the fact like all this stuff, have have they reached a point where even the Clippers are probably need to think about you know is Blake Griffin is a talent level dropped enough where we have to wonder about the fit issue a little bit more? You're in a tough spot if you're Doc Rivers. I mean, you can't. He's in the last year of his contract, so are. What, what is his trade value? Um, you can't really move him. He just had surgery. So, and you can't let him walk in free agency. I don't think that's the answer either. And some team is going to, I mean, he's getting a, a four-year max contract this summer regardless, I would imagine. So, I, I think Doc is in a really tough spot. And, you know, if, if Blake were to be traded or leave, and then what does that do with Chris Paul and, and how does that affect his free agency decision? So I think there's a lot of – there's a, a trickle-down effect if, if he does move on. And I, it's, a, it's a tough situation. And I, I, it's funny, the last time I was on with you guys, we talked about Blake's improved defense. And the Clippers were – you know, they were off to this incredible start. And they looked like they had what it takes to, to take down the Warriors in the playoffs. And – 
they've obviously slowed down as the year's gone on, and Blake specifically is specifically on the defensive end. So I don't I don't know what you do. I don't think that they are good enough to beat the Warriors, and they also can't really move on from Blake in a way that betters them in the short uh, or long term. So I don't I don't know what they do. Right. It, it is a carbon copy of, of last season uh, in terms of just the timing. But the big difference here, though, is they, the mountain that they, uh, the end goal, if you will, that they have to climb is so visible. Uh, and they need to have Blake in order to actually compete in the Western Conference, you know, if they're going to beat the Warriors or, or the Spurs or even the Rockets, who, who look like they'd be a, a tough matchup um, for, for the Clippers. But if I'm asking you, Pina, the Celtics fan, side of you do you want Blake Griffin next season for the next whatever how many years his contract will be with the new CBA what what would he be eligible to sign in his next four-year contract is that right yeah the Celtics could sign him to a four-year deal right uh, and would you would you want him like that's a team that had been rumored for years to be in this mix of you know assets for a guy like Blake they need a big man we talked about how small the Celtics can can actually you know can be sometimes um he's an interesting player to pair with a guy like Horford that'd be so talented rich at the at the front court so is that someone now that this is becoming a more realistic scenario where he might not be a clipper next year and that the market might be starting to form is that somebody you want on the celtics if you don't have to trade anything for him and you just sign him out right in free agency then yes in two seconds i think you sign him to a four-year max and then you have him horford isaiah then you can uh we can talk about re-signing isaiah in a couple years and then you still have the Brooklyn picks and you have absolutely no uh, motivation to trade those picks really Um, and you can kind of just sustain this either you know championship uh, contender level uh, team or or pseudo contender level team uh, for the foreseeable future so that's what yeah I would sign him in two seconds even though you know his best days may be behind him yeah and and Prada I know I saw a a graph, I forget who put it up, maybe it was The Ringer or one of those sites, put something up that was showing basically the inverse decline in his dunking to the uh, in, uh, to the uh, increase in how many jump shots he's taking and actually the, the distance with which his jump shots are coming from. So basically the opposite of the ratio you'd like to see um, from your power forward, but in this new NBA, I guess unless it's a three a three pointer would behoove you to to take that. But really, it's showing where his athleticism is declining and where he is then making it up in his game. But one of the things that I want to ask you about, we talked about this the the passing kind of the overall game that Blake brings to the table. But it feels to me like the further he goes away from the basket, the more that's going to hurt spacing for passing more than anything with a team like the Clippers. That's always a dilemma with them. Is that I think on a lot of teams, all the stuff you're talking about with Blake would maybe be showcased more but and it is I think against most opponents but against the very best opponents the fact that him and CP3 sort of both have a lot of overlapping skills Mm. I think hurts them and that's why it's always interesting that when one is out the team is usually able to thrive maybe Mm. not okay maybe they're not as powerful or as good as they could be with both of them but you know they do pretty damn well given you know that they're missing you know with someone who should be a top 20 player in the league you know, right, whenever right. it's one over the other. Uh, and so the Clippers started off with a big win in Denver uh, against Denver without Blake Griffin. You know, let's see how this operates because I I don't think what in the big picture, like I don't think that whatever they do now, good or bad, really offers them a lot of clarity to what they really need. That's why this injury is kind of a bummer. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to sell. And like you said, like the Rockets look really good now. Utah is coming on. Like I don't know if – 
the top three seed the Clippers we think they have is like 100% assured. You know, this is important an important stretch uh, for them. Right. Yeah, I tend to agree. Well, there's the other team in the game we didn't mention yet um, who's in an, an important stretch because they've been playing terribly lately. Uh, that's the Lakers are kind of in a lull after their pretty impressive start. They're back to 11 and 20, although they are the home team in this matchup. So Lakers season ticket holders will be uh, in attendance. Um, but uh, is there, should we anticipate this being a, a reaction game where the years, uh, the last few years of Clippers dominance kind of flip the other direction and the Lakers get one this time and sort of an emotional, we're here to play, we're here to challenge for the future uh, of the Staples Center. Pina, I know it was a different vibe last year than I'm sure it's going to be this year. Is this something that you kind of see a clap back from the Lakers? No, I, I still think that the Clippers are a much better team and will probably <laughs> roll over them on Christmas <laughs> night. But uh, not having Larry Nance is such a devastating injury for them. He's like... He's such a, a, a versatile, athletic front court player who can guard multiple positions, and he's he's a really good fit in their kind of switch heavy switch heavy scheme. Um, so no, I mean I, I I still think the Clippers will uh, destroy them, and um, <laughs> they're a superior team on both sides of the ball. But I mean, the Lakers just can't guard anybody, and, right. and you know they switch. There's still a switch happy scheme that um, has really it, it took a step backwards when Nick Young got hurt and you know Luol Deng's playing a little better as of late but I really uh, he really struggled uh, in the first month and a half of the season. D'Angelo Russell's been banged up, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I still think that the Lakers are not really. Ready. I, I saw a quote from Luke Walton that said, "No one on the team is ready, even close to being the face of the franchise." And I would agree with that statement. So, question for you, Mike: What do you what do you think of Brandon Ingram so far? Like, what should people who haven't watched the Lakers all year like look for in this game? Because uh, I I have some thoughts, but I'm curious, like whether they wrap, they line up with yours. Like, what do we what have we seen so far from him in his career? Uh, I mean, he's been touch and go. Obviously, he's one of the youngest players, if not the youngest player in the league. Um, I think it's, it's tough to take anything that we've seen so far too seriously. He came in with a three point shooting pedigree. He hasn't been really been able to knock down threes. Um, they haven't bringing the ball up the floor quite a bit and that's, that's fine. And I think it, it's, it's a showcase of his value and the number of positions he can play, but he's not strong enough to play the four yet, which will be his best position eventually. Um, so, I mean, I haven't really drawn any two major conclusions or, or concerns just because he's so young and he's only played 30 games in his career. So what, what do you think, Mike? I'm intrigued. I, I, he's been he's showing some stuff that uh, I didn't think he had. Now, he's too skinny to really make a huge impact. And he, I don't know if he's going to get strong enough for a while, but you know, his passing skills are really interesting. And you squint long enough... And you wonder if he's handling the ball more, maybe that frees Russell to be more off ball. I, I'd be really, I'd really love to see him have a big Christmas Day performance at home. I think that would be kind of a big boost to him, and I, I, that would be cool. Um, but I guess we'll see if it happens. I, I'm, I'm a little more intrigued than I thought I would be. I mean, you were, you were a pro, you were an anti Simmons, I guess I would say, pro Ingram, consequently guy when we were doing our draft previews last year i mean so you've kind of always had the intrigue i'd say Prade. i yeah i don't know i i watched the lakers sixers game last friday 
It was a terrible game. I mean, it was absolutely horrible basketball game. Lakers got up like 12 nothing in the first four minutes of the game. But regardless, I didn't even realize Ingram. I had totally forgotten about Ingram. And when he came in the game, I still felt that way. And you mentioned, like, he's too skinny right now. He's not just too skinny right now. He's too skinny for the next two to three years. Like, well, that's let's see. Real- I, mean, I mean, we'll see how – these bodies change. They, they grow they do. in different ways. Like, I agree he's not there yet. He's skinny. But his body's not going to take, like, weight well. And in terms of ball handling, I don't think he's a strong enough ball handler to take that over as, like, a, uh, um, to run an offense through him, per se, yet. I mean, I, this again, just, just watching him play a handful of times this year. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I, like, I like the idea of Brandon Ingram being, oh, man, I don't want to use the stupid term, but He's a unicorn, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> we have, he, I feel like unicorns are like the most common species in, in basketball right now. For like, something that doesn't exist, there's like a bajillion of them now in the NBA. They're like basically just normal horses. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, they, that, he's like a Tasmanian uh, tiger. Have you ever, I saw him a zebra. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I went with an, an extinct species there. Um, anyhow, yeah, but he's a... He's interesting because there's not a body frame really like him. I don't. I can't think of anyone who is so. I'm not gonna say underdeveloped because he's just young, but like he's so many years removed from being in the NBA body, he'll eventually play it. I mean, he is the second youngest guy in the league. I think only maybe Dragon Bender is younger, and he's you know barely getting minutes at the moment too for the Suns. Um, the I mean, the other guys around him who are of his age are basically D leaguers, so they'd be more hidden from the public and scrutiny. If, uh, you know, or he would be, I should say, if he was following their same trajectory, like your Papa Giannis and uh, Zubak and Thon Maker, guys like that. But hey, don't you disrespect Ivica uh, Zubac. Yo, I, I know people are high on him. I know uh, our Lakers friends like follow him kind of in a. You know, the hordes are going to come after us now. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so anyhow, those are some things to look for, at least in that game. If if and when the Clippers get up big, you can, you can watch for Brandon Ingram's uh, development because um, that's cool. Um, let's see. I will say also, Pina, I agree. Nance was really impressive in that game where I watched. He guarded um, no, um, JoJo real well, was able to go out and bring Embiid into the, uh, you know, in the post and play good defense. And then he was also out on the wing guarding Covington. Now, again, you know, Covington's not going to, stop the world but um it was cool to see him kind of guard up and guard down like you were saying so they will miss him um i think that's really it guys we just kind of previewed for an hour all the christmas day games hopefully people will listen to this tomorrow and saturday uh, friday and saturday as they're traveling to and from their christmas activities their holiday uh, festivities uh pina you're going to be up in boston prayed i'm assuming you're going to be in dc is am i right on both of these no i'll be in new york in my in my uh, oh. apartment uh just nice. doing work like this is i don't think a lot of people realize like how much work we have to do on a holiday like this uh when they're five games you know it's your your holidays are your hobby is our job so i you know for pina and i like this is a work day yeah, like it's it's kind of I don't think people fully comprehend that, um, and it's even more of a work day for the people who uh, go to the games. I know the, the Celtics are at home, so you won't you will be watching from your couch. But you know, you were at the Lakers game last yesterday or last year, yeah, or last yeah. year, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. might have been there yesterday too, but no. <laughs> Last year, Pina's <laughs> no, going to be a proper distance, about three thousand miles away from the Lakers on on this game. So that's a it's about the right viewing distance. Um, Pina, anything you're working on right now, man? That uh, everyone should be looking out for as they have plenty of time to digest NBA uh, reading over the next uh, week or so. 
Um, not really. I wrote a piece earlier this week on uh, Kemba Walker and uh, his in, what was behind his improvement. I talked to um, a bunch of assistant coaches on that team, the guys who really work with them, and a bunch of his teammates. And uh, so that was a fun piece. Uh, but besides that, um, I'll be covering the Oklahoma City Thunder Celtics game tomorrow night, and I'll have cool. a piece on that game. But uh, yeah, that's about it, man. Nice, nice. Well, I mean, we appreciate you coming on. And I guess I should give the floor for a moment here. Hey, Preda, tell us one more time about what we can look for. You've been working on your Porzingis thing. By the time yeah. this is out, that'll be out. So The next picture's video is on uh, Chris Stapp's Porzingis and how the Knicks are using him a lot more and how they're using him like a star. Uh, wow. And we talk a little bit about uh, the shadow effect he has, the Dirk-like effect when you move him around and use him in pick and roll. We talk a little bit about his skill development. Uh, I think you all will enjoy it. It's been fun to cool. watch him play. Like I said, all-star starter <laughs> no, last I love week. That. I love that. No, it's good. We'll keep doing this. I'll keep poking the New York Knicks bear, and then you'll comfort them, and then I'll make fun of uh, you'll make fun of the Bulls, and then I'll comfort that fan base. Okay. And before you know it, we'll have all 30 covered. And then we'll bring in Pina so he can tell us about the Lakers and Celtics. <laughs> and then you can That's tell me good. why the Wizards are good, and I can tell you why yeah, they're not. Yeah. Although, hey, big win against the uh, very the, the Bulls who are playing just such great basketball right now. We yeah. just smacked them around. It was the right time to play the Bulls, for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. But not to sell anyone short. And, and I'll leave it at this, and I'm sure both you guys would agree. This is going to be a special NBA season. If for nothing else, then, Every game is going to matter for the last two months of the season because every team is within two games of each other. Literally, the entire league is within three and a half games of each other. So that'll be exciting. There's almost never been this much parity top to bottom, east and west, which is usually different. Usually, well, Except kind of, for the two teams that are in first place in both conferences. Yeah, yeah well, uh, again, take out your, you always take out your, uh, your outliers, right? So we can cross <laughs> off the, the Suns, Mavericks, uh, Warriors, Spurs, they get crossed off, and then the Cavaliers, Raptors, Sixers and Nets, but everything else in between there, like 24 total teams are all within a couple games of each other. And that's exciting. Plus, there is still hope. And I know that our dear friend uh, Tom Ziller would probably cry in, in happiness for this. But if we could somehow get a Kings, a Boogie Warriors round one, um, that'd be must see TV. And I'd be staying up until 1 a.m. to watch that. Those would be some you. fun Boogie nights. Huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. there uh, they're currently in eighth, aren't they? I think they're tied or half game out or something. Yeah, it's a possibility. I mean, sure the, Blazers are, the Blazers are eking to get out of that eight seed right now. They're playing some of the worst ball in the league, including losing at home last night to the Mavericks. Which Ooh, That was bad. Ugh. So when, when the schedule came out, I, I thought to myself, hey, where are the Blazers? Like, why don't we put the Blazers on? They're fun and exciting. Like, I think people would want to watch them on Christmas. Uh, it's a good thing they didn't do that. Yeah. No, of course not. Too bad we couldn't have a Blazers-Timberwolves uh, matchup um, for – for the sake of teams that are far under 500 playing on primetime NBA games. And uh, last but not least, the NFL deferred to the NBA, which is almost unprecedented, guys. You never see this. So NFL will be Saturday, and the NBA can have almost entirely Sunday to themselves. There's only a couple NFL games, but who needs football anyhow? And then Monday's Boxing Day. Every EPL team plays. For you soccer fans out there, we had to get that in there. Check that out. The full slate of games uh, on, on Monday in the EPL. So lots of sports to watch. Look for Prada stuff. Look for Pina's stuff. They both are NBA internet people, so you can Google them. But you can look for everything. Uh, Vice for Pina, uh, Bleacher Report for Pina, Prada's pictures, the motion pictures now will be up on SB Nation tomorrow, the 23rd of December. Look for all that good stuff. Subscribe to this podcast. Rate, review it. Send us questions. All those good things. We appreciate it. Again, thanks to our sponsor, MailChimp. They've been uh, tremendous in sponsoring this podcast, and we hope to have many more great 
partnerships with them. So again, Pina, thank you so much for joining us. Prada, as always, it's great to talk hoops with you. And until next time, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Integrate and connect your store with MailChimp in order to personalize and automate your marketing. Visit MailChimp.com to learn more.